Jeff, we've been we've been missing you. We've been trying to figure out how to make you throw up on your first first day back. Jango just brought up tonsil stones today, and it was like such a visual response in me. I think he was like, "Oh Jesus, I didn't know this was gonna happen." He, I, we, don't, we don't we don't need to get into it. I'm gonna I'm gonna need to get into it at some point. It's though. like the whole white things you get stuck in the back of your throat. Have you ever had those teeth? No, they're they're there's something there. Hang on, I gotta wash the tic tac out. Could you get that tic tac out of your gob? You know what these are? Tic Tacs. Giant tonsil stones that taste good. Oh boy! What's a tonsil stone? Oh boy! It's a conversation for another time, and by any another time I mean any time I'm not here <laughs> is the time for that business. God, whoa! I dropped my TS's. Ew, God, <laughs> dropping them is not the way to talk about them either. T.S. Eliot over here. Oh, God, tonsil stone. You know what? I played bass for Oxygen Spunk in high school. <laughs> Oxy Spunk. Really? I was uh, uh, Braden in the tonsil stones. Oh, oh God. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry, Jeff. Oh, why is it such a gross thing to me? That's a tonsil right there. You make me barf. Oh, well, you deserve it, tonsil hockey boy. I can't. I can't watch people uh, brush their teeth. My mouth, gotta... my mouth goes like this when I see it. Podcast by the Comics Place. Uh, we read we comics. Get liquids out of organs. We get liquids out of organs. We read comics so you don't have to. Wait, no, that's not it. Or we, we read comics shit. so that you know which ones to read. Oh, or yeah. you can skip. Yeah, or you can skip. We read. We read comics so that you can read good comics too. Huh? And maybe throw us a huh? little bling on this. One. <laughs> oh, oh Brain's looking for that bling. I gotta, gotta get, get those diamonds. Hear that? That's me rubbing all my dollar bills together. Oh, I was worried it was a very small violin. Snaps. It's, it's this is snaps. a terrible intro. I like it. <laughs> Scrap it. Uh, we read comics. We talk about comics. And then we uh, rate comics. Maybe some other stuff. Sure. Uh, we also... What else do we do? Oh, we, we spoil sp- comics. Absolutely. Spoil the, spoil the piss out of them. Yeah, so Not if you haven't read these, don't... Well, you can listen. But we're probably going to spoil Not them. as many insane spoilers this week as Ooh. there were last week. There is one I want to ask you about later, though. Oh, good. It's not in here. Oh, never mind. Mm. Okay. Uh, Who are you? Oh, me. I'm Tonsil Stone Boren. Oh, God. Gosh. Uh, I, I'm Brayden, uh, back from the dead. <laughs> oh, I love it. And I'm Jeff, on the lamb. Oh. Mm. Yeah, you 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 told me you were on. I'm the lamb. on the fucking lamb right now. <laughs> I uh, those lambs were after you in the in the Michigan. For those of you who <laughs> haven't seen me today, I rented a car in Michigan, and I, for the first time in my life, did not get renter's insurance on that car, <laughs> and I done backed it right up into my girlfriend's parents' mailbox, uh, just scraped the shit out of my car. Mm. Um, nothing's worse than asking your already, you know, pessimistic, right-leading girlfriend's father to 
help you cover up the scratch that you just put on your car from their mailbox. Please don't think I'm a total fuck up. I swear I have good qualities. Joe, come on, please don't write me off. What did you do? Uh, what do you mean? Well, you asked him to help you cover it up. Well, so what I did is I was alone in the car. I backed into the mailbox. Oh, God. It was right on the curb. So, like... Oh, you're living it now. So you... You hit the mailbox, and then the wheel went over the curb and sucked you back, so it mm -hmm. scraped more. Mm. And then, what do you do? You go fucking forward. And do it again. Because you got to undo what you did, but it's going to make more scrapers. <laughs> and it was the, oh, so I pulled out of the car, and I was like, shit. Sam and her mom were in the back of her house. I gotta get the fuck out of here. So I just ran away and uh, I went and found a comic shop and that was Good interesting. <laughs> and I went and talked to him. Yeah, went out, uh, just sort of paced around, felt really guilty and shitty, looked at the car scratch. I was like, that's a bad scratch. Uh, drove around the block, looked back at the scratch, realized there was a bunch more on the door. Oh, um, oh, like, no. And not only is it a scratch, but it's like, <clears throat> Is a very sturdy mailbox, so like it dents in a scratch, you know, like it's 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 going in. What kind mm. of monster has a sturdy mailbox? Not only that, I was like the fourth or fifth person to wreck a car on this mailbox. Oh, oh my! It's like a f it's like a goddamn. I mean, that's that's a little reassuring at least. Yeah, it's a trap. So, so yeah, I texted Django and I. Uh, talked to Sam and her mom and they were very sympathetic and then her dad came home and oh gosh oh gosh um he was pretty sympathetic so that was good oh whew, I thought um, it wasn't going to be you uh he he definitely became more more keen on making me feel like a fuck up um, the later that the evening went on, um, and or the more alcohol was introduced to the group. Uh, but yeah, um, I was like Django. I was like, you know what do I do? Django was like, well, just park next to another car so they can't do a good walk around. Get out of there quick. Uh, don't tell them. Done it before. Leave a CD in the in the car so they they are distracted by giving you that. Yeah, I, I had a couple stories I had made up. Um, but uh, and he he had said to me. I was like, well, should I lie? Should I tell him? He was like, oh, definitely lie. And he was like, <laughs> actually, I don't want that to be a go-to thing for you since you're dating my daughter. And I was like, oh, God. I was like, I'm a good We've guy. We've only held hands. I'm a good I'm a good. We've been together for over three years. I'm a good guy. They don't have extradition from Washington. Is that how it works? Yeah. Totally, Damn. bro. Okay. You're totally fine. Okay. And... You know what they say, a comic store, that's safe harbor, no matter what. That's true, it's like international waters. Yeah. I'll never be able to fix what uh, I've done to Sam's father's perception of me, but uh, but I guess this will have to do. Maybe maybe it was like a bonding moment. Maybe he kind of, you know... I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I really have done some mental gymnastics to try and convince myself that that is maybe true, and chucks, I don't think so. So today we're going to talk about Die, 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 number one. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man, number one. Weird. She Could Fly, number one. <coughs> we're going to talk about some Superman, number one. Farm Hand, number one. Oh, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number 34. And uh, maybe take some voicemails and probably have a buckshot or two in here. So I spent like uh, 30 minutes, like, 
really excited to text Django and Roman about this book that we're about to talk about, uh, Die, 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 by Robert Kirkman, Scott M. Gimple, Chris Burnham, and Nathan Fairbairn. Django, what's the deal with this? Oh, dude. So uh, on that morning, Tuesday morning, we found out that we were getting uh, sent a bunch of copies of Die, Die, Die from Image. They didn't tell us they were going to send them. They matched them to the Oblivion song numbers of what whatever we ordered on our initial order. And uh, so we were just surprised with a brand new comic from the arguably one of the biggest names in the business, yeah. like probably top three biggest names in the comics world. Um, just kind of dropped it on us. And uh, yeah. it, was, it was my, my one complaint about it was. Um, I guess the not knowing for a while, like I loved it. I, really, I guess it's really kind of exciting, it. but I, I can't remember the last time I've been unsure about what's coming out tomorrow mm. for comics because, like, especially for us, we live we li- on Tuesdays. We live on Tuesday. We live expecting Wednesday, which is the next day, and then we also are trying to track what's coming out in a month because of our order cutoffs and what's coming out in the next previews three months out. So to have this just suddenly appear uh, like like a, a gift from the image gods was, I, I really liked it. It also like really rewards people that ordered high on Oblivion Song. Yeah. Like we ordered we probably copies. outside of... Uh, you know, what we would have normally ordered for that book. Yeah. And the fact that we did, we got really rewarded by getting 100 free copies of this. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, he did a nice write-up about it, which he did on Oblivion Song too, which is like, he really does love retailers. Like, yeah. he makes it a big effort to try and do what he can for retailers. And so that's that's the the how and the why. What's the what? Yeah, but... Is it any good? Yeah, like, is it good? <laughs> and Brayden, you've been in the, the grave lately, so you've been sort of viewing time as a sort of, like, just a linear plane, yeah. and you're sort of... You could you could call me uh, a member of The Walking Dead. Yeah. yeah. Grave Brayden. Mm. Grave Brayden. What is this book about? What's the conceit of this? A couple assassins uh, kill people for a senator. One of them gets in trouble. Gets his uh, nose gets cut his, off. Gets his nose cut off. <laughs> In it's, pretty graphic detail. Oh, it's so good. That's the most brutal part. But it, it means sort of that there is a an organization within the government <clears throat> that hires mm-hmm. assassins to eliminate particular, not even necessarily assassinate certain people, but just rearrange the players. Yeah, rearrange reality um, using you know so, social manipulation to sort of make what they want happen. And that is explained in this really really cool scene where Hillary Clinton, not Hillary Clinton. She's is, British, though, right? Yeah, yeah is, and it's not is, her name. Also, yeah, it's a different name. But uh, but she's explaining like we basically need to get rid of this one person, and she says, okay, well, we could you know get rid of him by murdering him, and she's like, no, let's not murder him. If we you know like if we can just uh, make him leave this town, that basically accomplishes the goal that we want to. So how do we get him to leave this town? Okay, well, we could kill his mom, or well, let's not kill his mom. What if we actually have the husband that. Like that, you know, the married, remarried husband, he dies, and then he would go take care of her. Oh, wait, what if we don't have him die? Let's do that. Like, there's this she thing. walks through all these scenarios, yeah. and then they, but they actually draw and panel out all of them as she's describing them, which is really cool, even though they're not happening. 
and they draw it in a way where like the the visual image of an assassin killing somebody is posed the same in each frame and repeated as she sort of rearranging. Did you guys ever play that game uh, Rush Hour with the cars that you like move around and get the little red yeah. car out? It's like that. It was like social rush hour. It's like, well, let's yeah. move this. Well, let's move this. No, like ultimately we just need to get all of these pieces rearranged to get um, a greater goal. And like that was a really cool thing to me. The pacing of that scene and the, the way it was told reminded me of like Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Like we're going to do this and then whoosh, like fast wipe to this other thing. And then this is going to happen and this is going to happen. Whoosh, and you go to this other thing, and it, it was yeah, it totally it was was really like entertaining. And it took a page and a half for me to realize what was going for on. For sure. And then I was like, oh, this is something I haven't really seen in comics before, and it's really well done. Yeah, and the pitch ends up being one brother has to save his other brother, and they're like James Bond. But, but he turns out that there's actually three brothers. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, three brothers and two noses. I couldn't keep up with that. One, oh, so cool. Yeah. <clears throat> I I loved it. Just just the kind of the bombastic nature of it. It's not like any of the other Kirkman books out there. And I don't know if that's because of Scott Gimple or if Kirkman just is trying to write something new, but it feels like a very different story and uh and speed for for one of his books. Yeah, Brayden, how much did you love all the blood? Um, I thought it was very pretty blood. Um, it was actually not as much as I thought. I mean, it's mostly just all piled up in that first sequence, which was really well done. Like, the movement from panel to panel, I thought was yeah, the really action. like easy to follow and like engaging to follow. Yeah. Um, and it leads to a pretty horrible climactic panel of this guy getting his nose cut off. And Dude, I can't, my septum hurts when I look at that. Yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't keep that page open for too long. Right. I have to turn it, like, ugh. Uh, I think, I think fans of action movies should read this. I think fans of Kirkman should at least read this first issue. And uh, I would give this, uh, I'd give this a solid eight and a half action movie points. <laughs> I would give it eight, <clears throat> eight action movie points, and I think that it's, I think there's there's a ton of different feelings about how it was put out, uh, but I I really liked it. I really like experimenting with the ways that comics are coming out because I don't think keeping things the same in general is a good strategy. Hmm. I would go with a six. I think I think it was really well done and really well put together, um, but. I didn't really care about any of the characters. Like, uh, no one really, no one really engaged with me that I could care about. So I don't know. I probably probably won't keep up with it. But it's very, it's a very good book. I can tell. Nick Spencer and Ryan Otley, Amazing Spider-Man number one. Man, those abrupt transitions are always better um, to me when we're in the room together. But when I'm trying to edit the podcast, it's just like, well, that sounds fucking terrible. <laughs> sounds like you cut something <laughs> that, out. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Gotta remember that. Um, what's, what's Pete up to? What is Pete up to? Oh, my God. He's up to a recap of the last 60 years of comic books, I think. Uh-oh. It was a book. I want to... Gosh... Brayden, do, do you intend to read this? Um, no, I don't. Do you have any past history watching the animated Spider-Man show? From Absolutely, the 90s? yes. This 
is the closest comic book I would say there has ever been to that mm. in my mind. And I really liked it for that reason. Django, you've been saving up this juice for me all day. Squeeze the orange. It's, it's not really juice. I just don't have anything super positive to say about it. it. There was nothing really that they said in this comic that I didn't know or basically assume was canon. Like, I guess, for me, Batman is the canon that I have in my head, mm-hmm. right? And no matter what they do to the Batman universe, they can they can New 52 it, they can rebirth it. Everything pretty much starts at year one and pretty much is headed towards the Dark Knight. Right. Right? And there are certain things that just happened in the Batman universe unless they specifically say this didn't happen those things happened. And this book felt like, let's just confirm that everything you know about Spider-Man, that he works at the Daily Planet and that he knows the <laughs> Avengers and uh, he doesn't get along with the Kingpin and he's hanging out with Mary Jane, but they used to be married, but now they're divorced. and But they're back together. And he has an spoilers. Aunt May. Like, every single page turn in this to me, just felt like it felt like a Spider-Man Digest comic to introduce a kid to Spider-Man, and it's a number one. So fair enough. I just don't give a fuck. There's nothing introduced here except Spidey and Mary Jane, maybe, maybe kissing again in here that was new. So I would say that <clears throat> I agree, but I I think that that's the intention of this book is to basically yeah. say like, hey, you know how for the last 10 years one guy has been writing this book and it's gone totally off the rails to the point where he's like it's basically when Scott Snyder took back over Batman from Grant Morrison, which is like, how do we undo <clears throat> Batman Incorporated? Right. And Spider-Man was basically in that same spot of like globe trotting, totally rich. The the fundamental character of Spider-Man who's a guy who has this bad luck that was undone, like his relationship was undone. There really wasn't anywhere for the character to go that felt true to the origin of the character to right. me. And this, I totally agree. There's nothing new here, but it returned Spider-Man to the character that he hasn't been for over a decade. And that's what I really, really wanted. Because I like I there's been dance slot arcs that I've wanted to read, but I have not cared about that character. Like right. I don't care about adult Peter Parker. And while they don't de-age him here, they really they really make him feel younger and more vulnerable. And they do it not necessarily perfectly. They sort of just say, like, yeah, you're working back at the Daily Bugle, which like if you were owning a super rich company that was super successful a year ago. How Why does that you, happen? Well, they sh- they show you how, yeah. kind of. And, and yeah, like, you know, one thing that I know Roman really likes about Spider-Man is just sort of that, like, really shitty Peter Parker luck. Mm-hmm. And this, like, really brought that home. Like, yeah. all of this shitty stuff happens to him. Yeah, and, and like, it's it's not a bad comic. I just feel like a number one shouldn't be a previously on if that makes sense. And that's what this whole thing felt like to me. Yeah, I I, I could see where yeah, I could see where you're coming from with that. I it it seems like where where is the intent of it and and I think we're I, both right. Yeah, I think that they like, kind of intended to do what what you kind of fell flat to you. Yeah. 
Roman to voice his uh, feelings, he, he really liked it, but he did have complaints about the art. And I, I'm i a huge Invincible fan, which Ryan Otley did the art on, so I'm a big fan of his art, but his I could see his faces might be a little bit off-putting. Um, everybody, like, basically yeah. by the end, Mary Jane and Peter look just like uh, Eve and what's his name? It's not Marvel house style no. at all. This, like if image has a house style, this is the image house right. style, and it's it's really interesting to see that translated to Marvel. I would love to see more interesting art come over to Marvel and DC. So I would I give this one an eight point five for it being a total breath of fresh air. Uh, I just realized that I stopped when I thought the comic was over, and I now missed the last you. 12 and a half pages of this yeah, book. Yeah, there's a back wasted, the You wasted hell? a whole dollar. I'm going to give it a 6.5. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a really good jumping on point for somebody who hasn't ever read a Spider-Man comic. I think so. Um, you want to know a secret about me in costumes? Yeah. I barely notice when they change. I love costumes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I just don't notice. I also don't notice when people change their hair. It gets me in trouble all the time. I cut my hair while I was in Michigan, Django, and you haven't said anything about it. I don't think you cut your hair while you were in Michigan. If you did, you cut it, like, just barely at all. I got in trouble one time for not noticing that uh, two inches had been taken off some real long hair. Is this a pubic hair thing? No. Is this about farts or butt hair or something? No. No, but speaking of farts and butt (laughs) hair, what would you think of she could... Oh, that was a terrible That segue. was a good segue. So. Mm, mixed reviews. Listen, this one I have some strong feelings about, and then we're going to go into a corner for things I don't have many things to say about. So, guys, just bear with me. I really, really liked this book, and I think that that is not a thing I expect everyone to feel similarly about. So it's She Could Fly, number one, by Christopher Cantwell, who, according to the cover, is the co-creator of of AMC's acclaimed Halt and Catch Fire, uh, with art by Martin Morazzo from Ice Cream Man, and uh, I guess Colors... Colors? Colors by Miroslav Merva. Yeah, they did that thing, well, a thing that I haven't seen before, where they, like, listed their accolades on the cover under their names. Yeah, so I guess, first of all, this is... Maybe the third book from Burger Books? Yeah. Which is Karen Burger, oh. who used to run Vertigo, who was like the, the editor of Vertigo, uh, when Sandman came out. Like and Morrison, Gaiman, Ellis. Like she made, like, yeah, basically brought all of that, that 90s great alternative comic scene she had her hand in. And now Dark Horse has her, and she's got her own imprint there. And... Uh, Man, I like that she makes comics that I like. Right. She has great taste. That that shows you that there's a part of the comic book industry that you don't really give credit to that really steers the flavor of something. The people who can sort of find enthusiasm within creators and help them get a thing made. Yeah. That's my dream job. That matches your taste. Yeah. Yeah. Like, she just can see things in people and the way that they talk about ideas mm-hmm. that they want to get made. That Yeah, yeah. So, Jeff, break it down. Well, so this book is basically um, in, the ta- in this town, there is a girl that people are spotting flying around, and we don't really know much beyond that. But we follow uh, a female protagonist throughout this book, and she's pretty fascinated by the flying girl. 
but the flying girl isn't necessarily the huge focal point. There is some grander plot stuff going on with the flying girl and what exactly <clears throat> that is, but what is really fascinating to me about this book um, is that it is a really, I think, accurate and beautiful portrayal of obsessive compulsive disorder or particularly um, uh, thoughts that you can't stop having or you can't you know, stop yourself from having. And like, just while I was in Michigan, I was like slightly more open with Sam about like, whoa, I just pictured this scenario happening. Mm. And that's a thing that I do. Like I just sort of intrusive thoughts. I, I, I can play out scenarios in my head that are really horrible and compulsive and nightmarish. And this girl deals with that uh, clearly consistently throughout this whole comic book and clearly throughout her entire life. And the write-up by Christopher Cantwell in the back is really, um, I would say, necessary reading for this. And he talks about his 25-year relationship with uh, primary uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder and um, intrusive thoughts that he can't stop having and how he's sort of come to terms with that and when he reached out for help and realizing that uh, he wasn't alone, that other people deal with this. Um, this is something that... I started dealing with like a handful of years ago and it was so awesome that like Justin was somebody who had been dealing with it for a lot of his life and sort of was able to put it into a healthy perspective for me at that point in my life. But so then I read this this morning in the sun alone before everyone was up and I took a picture of this right up at the end and sent it to Justin and he was like, oh my God, you got to put one of those in my file. Uh, it's, it's just amazing to, it's, and it, the way that they play it out is almost sort of like Phantom X's power in X-Force or something where you don't realize, but the panels are starting to go into this disaster scenario that the protagonist is, is creating, and you don't realize you're there until you're seeing her, like, stabbing somebody in the face or eating After a cactus. After she eats a cactus. Yeah. She eats a cactus. Um, or, like, a woman turns into a cat or she chokes somebody to death or all of these horrible things, and, and she has this sort of intrusive voice in her head that is this underlying thing convincing her that she's broken or unlovable, that she's going to ruin things. Or that it, she'll be, like, actually driven to these yeah. acts that she's picturing. Like, it's funny, and I always joke about it, but... Every time I see a pregnant woman, for some reason, I'm entirely convinced that I'm going to knee them in the stomach. And I don't know, like, why that would happen ever. Like, it's totally messed up. But, like, because that's a, to like, a total fear of mine, it becomes all I can think about around pregnant people. And, you know, that's sort of this whole thing down to a T is, is that, that type of thing. So... All that to say, uh, I, I really, really liked what this comic was talking about, and it's a four-issue thing, and it seems really, really close to the the writer's heart, and the art is gorgeous. We've been tracking this artist the last couple books they've done, and we're a big fan. I'm not necessarily super interested in like the history of like who this flying girl is and how she's flying and what's going on there, but you know, I love that this girl who's battling these intrusive thoughts ultimately like runs away and is maybe about to kill herself, and... Uh, it's just, it seems like a really honest and accurate portrayal of this weird brain thing that happens to some people. So I really liked it too. Yeah. I, for totally different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I liked, I liked the grossness of it and the, like her fantasies are so visceral and violent and the, the storytelling in it is really interesting. They're introducing you to a lot of characters that seem disconnected and it's not until the last page that you realize how they're connected to each other 
And man, just the the art and the feeling of this comic is totally grounded except when she's having these thoughts and the thoughts are totally out there. It's a the like her, her one of her teachers backs over her cat and tells the girl that and and the girl her name's Luna, she starts imagining that that teacher is the cat with its brains leaking out and it's just like I don't know, it 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 grabbed me because of the 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 weird fantasies but for a totally different reason than Jeff liked the weird fantasies the end. And I love how it's barely superhero stuff if that mm-hmm. like we're just she's not this this girl like could fly is not like fighting crime or anything. She's just right. we're just seeing her fly past every now and then like that's it. It's almost like uh, Plutona. No, yeah. Plutona? Yeah, from Jeff Lemire, mm-hmm. where it's just, it's definitely set in a superhero world. The kids know this superhero, but it's about the kids finding a dead superhero rather than anything having to do with the hero themselves. Mm-hmm. And it makes so much sense that like this protagonist would latch on to a female who's out there flying because there's like so much, you know, flying is such a metaphor for rising above or escaping or being unburdened by all of these things that she is not uh, free from herself. Hmm. Like, the, I, I, that, I, I, I think that it was just super, super well done. I, I, never, I didn't think I would see a, a comic book like this ever come out, and... I should read the write-up in the back of this. I, the, I, I, would, oh, yeah. I would say that the, the, yeah, the write-up page in the back of it is pretty necessary reading, or else I wouldn't have been able to take it as seriously as I did. Um, so what was, did you think of it before you read that? I, I really liked its honest portrayal. I, I understood, um, you know, about two-thirds of the way through that that's what they were getting at and that's what okay. this was about. Um, and after reading the write-up, I was... My only hesitance was, well, like, oh, how familiar with this subject matter is this person? Right. Um, like, how honest or sincere does it seem? And then to have somebody immediately say, like, this is my relationship with this, this is how I've struggled, um, that that just sort of made the whole thing, it, it put it into a, t- a frame where I wanted to believe it and I didn't feel like the person was going to be lying to me. And I look forward to it. And even if it sort of falls apart from here on out, that's okay too because it, it, it did something pretty impressive at the beginning. I think I would give it a seven. I think I would... Um, I, l- I liked it, but I, I didn't really enjoy my time reading it that much. I guess <laughs> if that makes sense, it's... Um, it's the uh, it's something I've struggled with before in my life, um, but not as much. Like since I started living on my own, um, and this has kind of brought it back up. And I'd much rather I think read this all collected rather than waiting in between issues with this kind of s- stuff hanging around mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought, yeah, the the OCD stuff was handled really. Really well and interesting, and I definitely want to find out where this goes. But I might, I might take it a little slower. Then. My heart just like went out to her. I was like, "Oh man, I know what it's like to have that <clears throat> voice, and don't, yeah, don't run away from everything because there's a part of you that you can't shut off." Brayden, take me to a corner of the Marvel universe. Oh God, I are you trying to make these segues sound like you just edited them together? Like that's just how my brain kind of. 
We're talking about Squirrel Girl next, number 34 by Ryan North yeah. and Derek Charm with uh, who's, Rico who's Renzi. Rico we Renzi. haven't heard much about this series since Derek Charm took <clears throat> over art duties. Yeah, which... You still need a magnifying glass to read the little funny things at the bottom. Roman does. Yeah. That clown. Um, yeah, no, I'm still bummed that Eric is gone, but she's still doing the covers, which are fantastic, and I think Derek Charm is one of the few people that... I would have been okay with taking over, and he's been doing a pretty good job. What a else really has good he done? job. Um, he does a lot of. He did a lot of um, Archie and oh, some yeah. Jughead stuff. That's right, um, I know his name. He's doing Valiant High at the moment, um, which that's two books at once. I don't. I hope you're doing okay, Derek. Yeah, that's a that's a workload. Yeah. Um, and like, is Jughead still coming out, or is that series? No, that over? that stopped okay. a while ago. Yeah. Um, he jugged his last head. Mm-hmm. Mm. No, mm. take it back. <laughs> Ooh. I played bass for oh, jugged his up. last head. Get out of here! Yeah. <laughs> Your joke's dead. <laughs> uh, this issue I I wanted to talk about in particular just because it um, goes kind of back, even though it's like the this third issue of an arc, kind of uh, which. They were all in an escape room together, Squirrel Girl and her friends, who also have roommate secret identities and superhero stuff, and uh, Craven is with them. Craven the hunter, Craven the bad guy who hunts people for sport. Uh, is this canon to the Marvel Universe? Or is it like... Not um, not with other books. Um, okay, so we don't have to worry about Craven Craven's been being a up. roommate with Squirrel Girl in Spider-Man. They're not roommates. They're just hanging out a lot. Um, but... He like he does like show up in a recent Venom arc where he's like killing people and stuff and being bad. And okay, so it's a different characterization. Yeah. Okay. Although yeah, I really America. I think they should be stepping him into more line with Squirrel than the other way around. This but. seems like a more interesting one, uh, Craven the Hunter characterization than like the one that's been in Captain America lately or Spider Man lately. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I I'm not familiar with those. Was he in Spider Man recently? What was it that you were just mentioning that he was in? Because he has been in other things besides Captain he America. He was in Venom. Okay, that bit. one. Yeah. He's on the cover of Spider-Man. He's on the cover of Spider-Man here, which well, is why it came to my mind. Everyone's on the cover there. And then he had a full like Captain America issue like three or oh, four okay. issues ago. Or I guess yeah, that yeah, like, was so. caused him to go through time. Oh, yeah. That, that must have been. And it was back to like Sergei. <laughs> and I think maybe he had never gone up against Captain America before. Is that right? Maybe. I, th- I think somebody was saying that it was the first time they'd ever confronted oh. each other. Which, oh. holy cow. Holy cap. And dragging your feet, Marvel. Dragon. <laughs> um, but yeah, the very first issue of Squirrel Girl, she fights Craven. Um, and yeah. it's the very first villain that she beats and, like, kind of in a way that, uh, like, basically, like, talks him out of whatever bad shit he's doing and kind of makes friends with him, okay. which is kind of her thing. She befriends most of the villains she fights in this book. Yeah. Um, and it's been great because, like, throughout the series, um, Craven's just kind of been around every now and then, like, doing his laundry and stuff. Well, no, like he's off uh, hunting, but hunting in a different way that's not evil and messed up. Like Pokemon Go. Yeah, like that. Um, and like he shows up when they go to the Savage Land because he's there to like protect dinosaurs that other people are like poaching and stuff. And like they fight Ultron. It's all a lot of fun. But this, in the at the end of the last issue, they they all do an escape room together, and they, they invite Craven, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'll do an escape room with you," 
and it's great. But at the end, they get in a villain fight, and some stuff kind of happens by the end of it where when they come out, uh, the police are there, and they try to arrest Craven, and Squirrel was like, whoa, wait, wait, no, he's he's cool. And so they arrest her, too, and all their friends, and it's <laughs> it's messy, and so they're they're in jail now, and... It's Squirrel Girl kind of actually confronting the fact that, oh, Craven was a pretty bad dude. Like, he's done a messed up stuff. Right. And the police officer who's got them all there, like, starts printing off his rap sheet on an old uh, dot matrix printer and just, mm-hmm. like, four panels mm-hmm. of, the, of it just printing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, like, it's like closing in crazy mics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and they, they, they have a really good discussion about that, and she's like, and he's like, "Yeah, no, I did do all that stuff, but like, I'm I'm better now, and I'm you helped me realize that and stuff. And it's it's complicated and tricky, and like they dig into it, which is great. Um, so uh, yeah, what? Uh, where does that land? Is he like? Does she? At what point can you say, "Oh, your weird brain that made you hunt everything, including <laughs> Spider-Man, was a sickness, not not a supervillain?" Yeah. Um, they don't go into that much, but <laughs> well, so, like right. he knows he, like he realized that like he's done like bad things by you know societal standards mm-hmm. and is trying to be better about that. Um, they go to court. Um, Jennifer Walters represents them because she's the best lawyer in town. <laughs> um, and I fucking love courtroom dramas for some reason, <laughs> like. And so that, I got that in my Squirrel Girl comic, which was great. Um, and they, like, they kind of win. Like, they all go free except for Craven, the judge. And the jury were like, okay, you guys are good. You've convinced us that you mean well. But Craven, like, he's got, like, we got to lock him up. Right. And it's sad. And he's like, he, and that's when he, he like, breaks the handcuffs and takes off. And he's like, you can sell. He's like, he's sad about it and he doesn't want to. And, like, by the end, like, Spider-Man shows up, which was great to see Ryan North write Spider-Man because <laughs> I think Ryan North is probably one of, like, the funniest writers out there. And I think he <clears throat> is a really good fit for Spider-Man. And poor Craven is trying to, like, not not be what he used to be. And he kind of just falls back into it. Right. And it's, it's really, like, sad and interesting. And that's like, what I love about Squirrel Girl. Like the old question of whether... Uh whether Batman is needed for Gotham or if he causes all the mm. wacky bad guys. Yeah. Like, Craven doesn't lose his shit until Spidey shows up, right? Yeah. And, like, it's it's good. It's good. And I love Squirrel Girl for treating all its characters, like heroes and villains, as, like, like human beings yeah. that are, like, complicated and nuanced. And, like, there's... And, like, she doesn't, like, make it through to like all the villains she comes up against. Sometimes she's got to beat them up and she can and she will. Right. Um, but like she makes an effort to try with everyone and she does it in a way that isn't like condescending or like patronizing, like, or she doesn't like just berate them or make fun of them. Like other like superheroes would do and mm-hmm. just like they're beating them up for fun. Um, yeah, no, this is, I think like the best superhero comic coming out right now. <laughs> Um, and I, yeah, I just, I hope it never ends. Um, and I'm, I hope Craven is okay at the end of this. 
What I think is interesting is that like this book has been the most consistently Craven's been used for like years at this point, and mm-hmm. while he shows up in other things, they're still not really in the larger universe incorporating this characterization as him, and mm-hmm. I think that it's more interesting than the other ones, especially if they can make it not like exclusively cute. Like if they can, if they can talk about him being you know, having guilt or that past that yeah. he, you know, is, it's like, um, and, and that was the more confusing thing to me like a year ago or something when, you know, if seeing him crop up, it was like, well, what about the, the negative stuff? So I like that they're incorporating that in here. And I think that they should make this version of that character a little bit more widely recognized as that character. Yeah, for sure. It's, I would love it if they adopted more of Squirrel Girl stuff into the rest of the Marvel universe, but what do you give it, Brayden? Uh, ten out of ten. All right. Um, it's I I still like Erica Henderson's art more, but I think Derek Charm is actually doing a fantastic job. <laughs> Quavo. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> huh. Superman. <laughs> Good one, bro. Hey, listen, <laughs> I don't know I don't know if it's cheaper or more expensive or what, but this new paper stock that DC is using, uh, one giant uh, Caesar thumbs up. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? D- feel that. Give me that. Yeah, but feel look at that. that. Whoa. Look at that. Do you, is, do you think, I mean, I don't know about this stuff. Django, is that cheaper or more expensive? I can't imagine that DC is seeking out more expensive paper to sell (laughs) us the $3.99 comic. It seems like a pretty high-profile book to be experimenting with new, cheaper paper matter. I actually love how this looks. I do, too. It feels like a classic comic book in a way. Yeah, it feels kind of like almost like 90s or 80s-ish, yeah, but like, like a little like, like high-quality. glossy. So I would say that in this Superman number one by Brian Michael Bendis, Ivan Reese, and uh, Prado? Prado. Prado, Joe, Joe Prado. Prado doing inks with Alex Sinclair on colors. Uh, I would say that if they found cheaper paper, awesome. They may have found paper that costs the same but is about 10% lighter. Lift it's, that Plastic Man. And then lift that Superman. That Superman is lighter. But the paper seems thicker also. Yeah. Like there's a weight, there's a density to it. I don't know. It seems like a higher quality product to me. What'd you think of the story, though? Why, why think about the story when you could talk about the paper, Django? Listen, paper's important. Paper paper changes my mind on things. Trees um, are important. What's, yeah, what's, what's, trees. what's Man of Steel been up to? Uh, his, uh, Ro- uh, Rogaine Zelda came and uh, tried to beat him up for messing with him. Yeah, so Ganon showed up, um, tried to restart the circular machine at the center of the Earth. He's in the Phantom Zone. The he Superman the said, zone. hey! What's that machine for? Just like that. You could hear it when you read it. Like it like when he said that in Man of Steel and uh Zod said, This is my my earth thumping machine. Yeah. Except this was at the center of the earth. Wait, did he go to the center of the earth in yeah. Superman? Man of Steel, yeah, Man yeah. Steel. Oh god. Um what's serious? Basically we've got uh Clark is just hanging out. His wife and son have gone with his estranged uh, father uh, on a journey through space and hmm. they left Superman with a singular communication device to get a hold of him and it broke. So Uh-oh. now he has no ability to communicate with him and not only that, his family thinks he's not 
communicating with him. Um, and we've got just Superman kind of going about his moderately melancholy life without the people that mean a lot to him. And he keeps flashing back to scenes with them. And then what seems to be a, a sort of moral crux of this portion of this arc, uh, Marv, Marvin the Martian shows up and kind of tries to push Superman into taking a slightly more proactive role as the ambassador of Earth to a larger galactic front or universal front. Superman's sort of like, whoa, that seems a little bit more dictatory than I would want to mean. And nobody wants to be a dictator. Um, I liked it when you were doing it with Rogelzar, but I don't like that you didn't call Marvin the Manhunter Martian Martian Manhunter and you called him Marvin instead. I don't know what you mean. I loved that crossover issue between them. Beer and a half, and I can't enunciate what I'm trying to say, Jeff. What do you think about the big thing in this issue, which is we moved the Fortress of Solitude to the Bermuda Triangle? Dumb. Do you? (gasps) Why? 100% dumb. Build it in the Antarctic again. Just build it where it was. Except for somebody, we keep getting people showing up and destroying it. Yeah, everybody knows where it is. So fucking what? How did they find it? Uh, Rogel's are due. Do you think nobody can find him in the Bermuda Triangle? Yeah, you get lost in there. Well, there's a magical quality to the Bermuda Triangle. Make a new moon. Put it on the new moon. Yeah, we're still down a moon? Yeah, we were down a moon in Justice League last week. Uh, listen, guys, this is not canon. This is the squirrel girl of the DC universe. I don't think so, Django, and I appreciate the idea, but I think that this might be canon. How's With paper stock like this, it's gotta be a part (laughs) of the How's Kent gonna turn into a giant ape without the moon, though? The best part of this is that Marvin the Martian Hunter, or whatever you want me to say, (laughs) shows up, um, and while he's talking talking to Superman, Superman is totally unable to be having a conversation with him and like four different times he just says oh, I'm sorry John hold on and he flies off to like punch a giant monster and then he flies back he's like you're saying we yeah we really need to do this and he's like oh god I'm sorry I gotta be, I'll be right back and he goes and you know solves a fire and John's like you know I could help you with that and he's like no there was fire there this time you actually couldn't <laughs> have um, and you know he's like well, but the world needs what and he's like your leadership and uh, and he's like god you, you know I can't do this I thought that was a funny little bit. I think that they ended it at just the wrong repetition. They, I think they ended it on the third time that he goes and does that. And one more. I need what I need is either two, and it would have been funny, or I need it to pay off in like a backhanded conversation in an issue or two. Yeah, like him being like, "Yeah, I can't even ever talk to him" or something like that. But I was like, "Oh, three, yeah, okay, I get it." It um, felt like a Wednesday afternoon to me, where you and I will start a conversation at. 11 a.m. and finish it at 1.45. Because we just... Because there's just so much going on. Um, And then this issue ends with Superman flying, and all of a sudden something feels a little bit weird, and he flies out, and he's like, oh my god, the entire Earth is in the Phantom Zone. Yeah, how does that happen? I don't don't think that that's real. I don't think that that's actually happening. Maybe it's Martian Manhunter messing with him. Maybe Martian, Daffy, Bugs, and that son of a bitch Taz are Mm. just taking Earth and shoving it into places it shouldn't be. Oof. The Phantom Zone. Oh, the Phantom Zone. Yeah. What do you mean? Uranus. I don't want to say it. You know what? The, my least favorite part of this issue. Yeah. I, li- I like this issue okay. I liked it pretty good. Least favorite part, though, was the very last four words in the comic. Next, Rogelzar returns. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. Jesus. We get one issue off from that guy? Yeah. Is he going to be hanging out with Superman? Was he annoying? Was he a jerk? Forever? Oh, he just wasn't a very well-conceptualized villain. He what's, was just sort what's of a, his beef? 
Superman, Superman's oh, dad he like destroyed his planet. Or? Kryptonians are a plague that uses resources and will use other people's resources and sort of just be like move outward and. Uh, they're all dead. You know, sort of like West imperialism or something. And he destroyed Krypton. I actually just tried to unscramble his name to see if it anagrams to retcon, but it doesn't. No, there's, but it almost does to retcons. Oh. Relgs. Roll gold retcons. Cons. Rolled gold. Uh, I think that the strong point of this issue is the paper stock. Absolutely. Um, but I really like the paper stock. Like, I really want to read it now because of that paper. And it's, it's Bendis. It's like... Totally inoffensive and pretty darn good, and it's enough interesting hooks that I finished it, and I was like, I could totally read another issue of this, Gosh. and I would enjoy it. Bendis is just the most perfectly acceptable writer out there, I think. I would say he's yeah, just better than perfectly acceptable. Like, yeah. I think that always, always at least perfectly acceptable. Yeah, he never releases anything that I feel like is lower than like a seven, mm-hmm. and Although, he has the ability to go up to a ten. That the end of that. That Iron Man run was Ooh, really... Yeah, you're right. That was rough. That was, that was real rough. Right, but guys, he did almost but, die. But I think, yeah, I think there were some circumstances around that one. But did this make up for it, bringing the Dominators from Invasion into a Superman comic with a number one oh, on the cover? Oh, well, that's those guys. That Jingle, that's his favorite annual-based crossover event ever. Invasion? Uh, Wasn't that not... like an ABC series where like aliens show up? Uh, maybe, but they, they actually did put these Invasion aliens in Flash. Oh, and maybe geez. in Green Arrow also, I... I kind of wasn't paying attention to which one of the shows I was watching, but these these guys do show up in the WB universe. Holy shit, that crossover from a year ago was that invasion. It was a reference right? to that crazy annual crossover you love. Yeah. I watched some of that. I, got, I have to, I got to come clean, Jeff. You're watching those shows? Nope. That's that, just the only event. That crossover, grabbed. I think, was the year before I had Bloodlines. the means to watch that stuff, read that stuff. So I have never read Invasion. What about blood ties? Bloodlines? Bloodlines. Red bloodlines. Yeah, you did. Red, probably Red 80% of those annuals. Red bloodlines. Red bloodlines. So yeah, this book, uh, I gave it uh, 7.5. What do you give that paper? I give the, I give the book a 7.5 and the paper an 8.5. I'm going to give this book an 8.0. Okay. And then I'm going to take one. Did you ever see Raiders of the Lost Ark? No. There's a, there's a scene where Tot has burned his hand. Tot? Tot. He's a, he's a Nazi enforcer. He's burned his hand with the key to finding the treasure. Is that the part where he falls in a pit of keys and he says, Oh, keys. Why does it always have to be keys? No, different part. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and so the Nazis are basing their digging location on this scar on Tot's hand, uh-huh. right? And Indy has the original and it's got two sides to it. And he brings it to this translator. And the translator says, he, he looks at it and he says, this tells you where to dig. And it, he gives him the directions that Tot has imprinted on his hand. And then... I'm totally lost as a how, like, where are we on this we're, tangent? We're and, then, okay. and then the guy flips it over. And he's like, oh, I know where to dig. And the, the, the old man translator flips it over and he says, but take back one kadam high. For, oh, I'm embarrassed. I don't know the exact quote. That's why you're embarrassed? <laughs> so they have to reduce the height of the stick. 
And then Indy can find the place to dig. And the Nazis found the wrong place to dig. So I'm going to give this like, an that's eight. That's the scene where like the light goes into the thing and yeah. then it casts the thing. Right, but it would have been cast in a different location right. if you didn't have the backside, which tells you to, to subtract some. So I'm going to give this an eight. And then I'm going to take back 0.5 for the Rogel Czar returns uh-huh. on the bottom of the last page. And Get I'm going to take back yeah. 0.5 for no shot of cardboard Lois Lane. Oh. Seven. I do miss cardboard I'm sorry, that Lois took a Lane. long time to get there. Yeah, we were <laughs> over time before we started that story. You can cut it out. No, that's seven. our goddamn Superman intro right gets there. a seven. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, no. Oh, God. Get out my yard! Quit trying to Stop steal it. my you goddamn don't need to coyotes! You gun that much. I loaded like a hundred bullets. You. That's true. There's ten for each of those. I, my heart is broken. Django start. Go. Plastic Man, number two, by Gail Simone and other people that I'll name later. Uh, I I really like this issue. This is the most recent comic that I've read as of this recording, and uh, it's got some really good gags. One of my favorites was Plastic Man punching somebody on the first page and his arm going off the end. <laughs> and it just goes over the next two pages until he finally hits them on the final of those four pages. Uh, there's more use of the word wang in this. There's, uh, man, it's it's a fairly intricate story for how silly and stupid it is. Really liked it. Smoke Town, number eight. It's the last issue. Django loves this book. I think I might have talked about every issue of this book. I love now. that you love this book. <laughs> it. He doesn't smoke either. It's no. violent. It's sad. It's got kind of a Reservoir Dogs ending. All these different characters that you've been meeting are finally kind of coming together and fucking each other up. And I think you should read the first one and pretend it's a one-shot. I also read Little Girl by Devil's Due Comics. This might be the first Devil's Due book I've really read. And it's just a nice little horror story about uh, a woman who's kind of cheating on her husband who's on the road. And he's also cheating on her, and she doesn't like his brother, and she thinks that her brother, his brother is, is kind of messing around with him, but it turns out that it's this little ghost girl who's killed the brother and has followed her to her, the, the, vaca- or the work trip that her husband is on, and the little girl is terrifying. Fucking terrifying. Mm, little girl. Plastic Man gets an eight. Smoke Town. The issue probably gets a Seven and a half, I would give the series probably a nine if you don't know that you're getting into an eight-issue series. And I don't know that you can do that at this point. Kind of like True Detective, where I really think you should watch it and give it a week before you watch the next episode Mm. instead of binging it. Mm. I don't think this is a binge comic. I think uh, if if I was going to hand it to somebody, I would say read this anthology book, even though it's definitely one long linear story. Every a, issue has come out, and I've been like, the art is better than I thought it was going to be. The art's better. The storytelling is better. It's, yeah, very surprising. And uh, Little Girl, I'm going to give a seven and a half. There's nothing groundbreaking in it, but it's it's actually really scary. Hmm. And then at the end, the little, the little ghost girl starts crying because she sees a dog. I think it reminds her of her dog, Jeff Go. Um, I made, you know how you sometimes just do it wrong? I did it wrong this week. Um, I got back from Michigan last night at midnight, came and picked up my books. I read five books that I loved and then 
the whole next day's worth of readings were books I didn't, like none of them I liked as much as that previous day's reading. <laughs> I just sort of arra arranged the books wrong. Um, so we've talked about the ones that I really enjoyed or are going to. Uh, so I read Isola number four, and by read, I mean I'm doing my issue by issue, not reading any text of this book, and <laughs> still a very pretty book. It's gotta be one of the most beautiful books coming out, I think. Um, doing that Miyazaki thing, looking cool, getting some more historical context into the relationship between protagonist and queen, and how queen got turned into a tiger, and that's pretty cool. Rawr. Rawr. Michael Cray, number nine of 12. Nearing the end of Michael Cray, Jango, did you read this? Not yet. This I almost read it. Unfortunately, is one of the the lesser issues of the whole series. Um, we had like a really nice flow of like introducing a new character, defeating it, and being reintroduced to a new character until about three issues, or two issues ago. So this is the third issue in an arc where we've been mostly dealing with uh, the Constantine character and Wonder Woman, and it's just taken a long time and has stopped being a cool other world story and is just a sort of rooted in its own thing right now. I give Isola, um, a six, because it is so pretty. It's so gorgeous, and the lighting is still really, really great, and I love the character designs, and it's it's very good looking. Uh, Michael Cray, number nine, I would give a six. I almost wonder if um, this writer has now taken over Detective Comics. It just seems like maybe they're working on more than one thing, because the last issue of this and this issue have both been ones that felt... Uh, not quite up to the par of the first like six or seven. This is number nine of twelve. So and seven, eight, and nine have all <clears> been <throat> the Wonder Woman Constantine thing. So think about this: mm -hmm. the first six were one shots. That's yeah. the first half of the series. And this whole second one is sort of what we're doing with that. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It, it seems like Warren Ellis, who is the architect behind this, maybe has a structure that he's going for, and I, like, I kind of wonder if we're not going to be able to dissect some sort of pattern to what he's doing with this Wildstorm storyline. Because I think there's another spinoff and another 12 issues of the main series, right? Yeah. So there's so, supposed to, I mean, I guess what's interesting is, yeah, like you said, I think we inter met a lot of characters in the first six issues, and now we're sort of doing what the plot of this book needs to have done. So we spent a lot of time with characters that are not references to Elseworlds character, like, characters that we know in a new world. It's a lot of characters that have been created for this specific series, and we're spending a lot of time with them, and I mm. don't particularly care for any of those characters. How'd the artist do? Um, the artist, gosh, Django, good, we've good just been story, talking huh? about every issue on it, which is just sort of, every time, I always have to double check, is this the same person? Because their art style is like totally inconsistent, <laughs> and it's even inconsistent like from page to page, and it's just an example of um, the right the writer, you know, carrying a lot of the story. The art is always totally serviceable. It's, like it's not even, it's not even like they're like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna have a cool style for this, whether no. people like it or not. It's just not very like it's somebody's brother-in-law almost. Yeah, yeah. No exactly. offense. Like, well, yeah, actually, offense, dude. It's just not very good. Yeah, maybe this is like your first published book. I don't, I don't know. Maybe this is the first one, and you're do you're we're gonna see a positive growth. Um, but yeah, it, it's. It is a really weird art. It's really weird art, and it has been the whole series. Um, but it still tells a story. It's not. It doesn't suck. It's just like a, a strange choice. But that Cohen and Sienkiewicz cover. 
Even the Sinkevich covers have been a little, like, sub-Sinkevich. Sub-Kevich. Sub-Kevich. Mm. Brayden, you have 90 seconds. Do with them as you wish. Um, I read Domino Number 4 this week, and I really like this series. Um, Gail Simone's introduced this cool concept of whenever something good happens to Domino, whenever she gets lucky, this other person that was born on like, the same day gets incredibly unlucky, and something really bad happens to him. Um, and that's the villain, and it's really interesting and cool because it's someone like, oh, that really sucks for that person, but, you know, not that they should be, like, killing people because of it, but it's it's really cool to explore. Um, she trains with Shang-Chi in this one, which is cool, but also her friends who she leaves behind to go train with Shang-Chi, uh, they realize, oh, she left us behind because somebody knew about that last ambush that happened, and it could have been one of us. And they're upset by that, that... Domino didn't trust them, but they, like, kind of take it upon themselves to even, like, despite that, like, prove themselves to her, and, like, they go track down the villains anyway and help her out, and it's some really cool friendship stuff there. Um, I read Incredibles 2, Crisis in Midlife, and other stories. Um, I just saw the new one, um, and I like that movie a lot. Uh, this comic was cool. Like, there was, like, three separate stories that will continue on in three separate story arcs as the series continues. Um, they were all fun and cool. Uh, my only complaint was that they were all focused on uh, Mr. Incredible, um, Bob Parr, rather than any of the other family members, which I think would have been more weird. interesting. Because um, it's the Incredibles, not Mr. Incredible. But it was still fun and good, and I liked it. Um, I read Hunt for Wolverine, the Adamantium Agenda, number three. This is the only Hunt for Wolverine book I've stuck with because I, I like these Bendis-era New Avengers characters. There's some really interesting stuff going on with Iron Man Wolverine and a flashback that they keep uh, alluding to in the beginning of these issues. Um, this one wasn't fantastic. Like, I don't remember a lot, but I'm still, like, I love seeing all these characters together again, and I'm definitely curious to see where they go. And also, Mr. Sinister is a fantastic villain, and he has a big red diamond in his forehead and does love, genetic stuff. Love his like, character design. Classic X-Men animated series. Uh Thrawn also wrapped up this week, um, and that was cool. I I think it started off a lot stronger than it ended, and maybe that's the book fault, fault or the comics fault, but it was still cool. Um, Star Wars is great, and I'll, I'll never not enjoy something Star Wars related. Um, New Mutants was also cool. They messed with uh, Doctor Strange, but it's not Doctor Strange. Spoiler. Dun, dun, dun. And time. Dun, dun, because dun, that boom, accidentally boom, boom, shut boom. off somehow. Oh, yeah. Um, where did I, where did I start with that one? Domino, I would give, uh, an 8.5. Incredibles, I would give a 7.5. Um, Hunt for Wolverine, probably a 7. Uh, New Mutants, Dead Souls, uh, 7 as well. Farmhand. Farm, ew, God. <laughs> Yuck. I gave my tonsil stones to Farmhand. Ew, fuck you, <laughs> Farmhand, number one, written and drawn by Rob Guillory. Who is the artist and co-creator of Chew? Yep. Mm -hmm. And who lives in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana? Hmm. I think it's Lafayette, just outside of New Orleans, a, a little ways outside. Lafayetteville. Yeah. This guy's funny. Yeah. He's, he's clever. What do you? What'd you guys think of this? I liked it. Uh, basically, this guy goes back to his hometown, uh, where his dad has a farm. Turns out that his dad's farm includes the ability for him to grow human transplants 
on trees. Like and, not only organs and stuff, but like limbs. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, he actually cuts an arm off a tree and puts it on a dude with no arm today mm-hmm. in this issue. Um, lots of people want that that uh, secret to how he does it. So there are spies involved. It's and unclear whether is, it's a, like technology thing or a magic thing or like a deal with the devil thing. Or just like a lucky dude on the right piece of land or mm-hmm. what. Uh, and so there's there's an amount of intrigue. The dad is kind of a jerk, but it seems to be like more in a got to protect this thing for whatever reason, like whether it's for money or or because that's the deal he made with the devil or the science or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, good good characters, good coming home story, lots of really nice art and background gags that I think are right up my alley. Yeah, there was a lot of a lot of background stuff like just like titles of or like building names and like um posters, the logo people are writing on their clipboards and stuff. The logo for the company is a hand with a leaf where the mm-hmm. thumb was. Um yeah, it's it's also a little bit grotesque, which yeah. you know, I don't know if you guys know this. I like grotesque things. You like that yucky yeah. stuff. The yucky stuff. Give me the yuck. I really like that it seems like um, he's he's putting a lot of his life into these characters. It seems like his family. And he did a really great, Jang and I listened to a, a long interview with him about this book right after it was announced. And he seems, it seems to be a real, like, not autobiographical, obviously, but it seems to be coming from a lot of his family experience and new father experience. And, uh, yeah, I, I liked that portion of it. And also, like, anything with his art... Uh, just has a totally unique tone that yeah. you can't really get anywhere else. Yeah, it's very cartoony and grounded at the same time. It's interesting. I want to know more. It the fi- the final third of it uh, hooked me more than the first two thirds did, which mm-hmm. had a lot of like charming, fun stuff in it. But then I feel like the interesting aspects of the plot kicked in in that final third. I had a hard time separating this from Chew just because his art is so. Chew, yeah, and like in in my brain, I was still being fed a story from John Layman, and and it doesn't seem super off tone from a John Layman oh. Chew kind of story either. Right. Yeah, which is interesting. I wonder how much Rob Guillory had to do with like the direction and and the bizarreness of Chew. Well, he also doesn't have an insane. Uh, like history outside of Chew, like a mm-hmm. large one. So probably a lot of his preparation for scripts and tone of things is going to be filtered through working on that sure. book with those scripts exclusively for however many years Chew was coming out. In not a bad way. At no, all. not yeah, no, totally, totally. But no, I had that same feeling, which is that nobody else looks like this, and the only thing that I can think of that looks like this is Chew. So this has to be some corner of the Chew universe, and maybe it will be the uh, Chew universe. Thank you. God. Mm. Brayden. Mm-hmm. Where were you? Where were you? That, that was just hanging there for you. Like toe fruit. Oh. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm just thinking about this book, and it was good and, like, cute, and there's a lot of funny stuff, like bits and pieces here, but I kind of like uh, uh, Die, Die, Die. I don't think I really care about anyone. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't know. It's a cute concept. I I didn't care that much for Chew either, um, although it um, seems like a fine book, but <laughs> a fine book about eating people. Um, mm. God, we need <laughs> Roman here, you guys. We don't have a beating heart. 
<laughs> Romans are beating sleeping heart. Oh, he's beat, got a headache. Beat the heart right out of him. Romans watching the uh, coca fields for Braden today. He's also editing somebody's yeah. book, which is just a crazy thing to hear about Roman. He's also prepping my D and D game, which is actually Ooh. what I've been spending my Wednesday evenings <laughs> doing. Mm-hmm. Sure, you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would give this uh, seven and a half. I would guess that by the third issue, I'd be giving it an eight. I, I dig it a lot. I'm going to mirror that score. I, I would say seven and a half as well, and I, th- I think that it'll get even better. I think this is... I don't. I haven't read anything that this guy's written, and this seems like a really nice first issue for somebody who's their first series of writing a thing. Exposition is pretty hard, and it didn't feel like an exposition dump. Yeah. There's a lot of world building going on, and I think that's pretty difficult for somebody who hasn't written a ton of comics. I didn't even think of that, but... Yeah, this it, is this is a really polished first issue. Mm-hmm. It set up a lot of room for growth. Yeah. Ha! Ha! That was growth. Oh, mm-hmm. boy. <laughs> I, I'll get my coat. Um, oh. Seven. Seven? Yeah. Nice. Jeff, did you want to tell anybody uh, how they can get a hold of us? Listen... Everyone can get a hold of the Perfectly Accessible podcast, and you can request to have your messages read on weeks where Roman is on the podcast. In fact, I understand that. Um, You can call us. Our voicemail number is 1-619-663-7336. It is very important to get that one in there, or it won't work. So that number, once again, is 1-619-663-7336. You can leave a voicemail, or... You could record a voice message on your phone as a voice memo and text it to us if you have our numbers or send it to us through the email at the store, which is info at thecomicsplace.com. Um, or you could call and leave a bunch of voicemails and we'll just you know do the most recent one. And we won't even listen to the early ones if you, if you're, if you get nervous. Um, but we've got, a, we've got one. I haven't heard it yet, but we've got a voicemail this week. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask if you could put a, a ringing telephone sound effect in. Oh, my God. We're... We're like, getting a. F- is it? We're getting a phone call. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> uh, let's. Uh, oh. Oh. Hi guys, it's Dino. I'm a longtime listener, first time caller. I love the show. I want to change the name of your show to the Perfectly Acceptable Podcast uh, to give myself a segue to talk about X23 Number One, well done. which came out today. I thought the book was exceptional, exciting, and excellent. I liked how Laura and Gabby still have each other's backs, like in the previous series. I was really excited to see the unstoppable Jonathan, their pet Wolverine. The only complaint I have is since it's Laura's birthday, I would have liked to follow what happens on Logan's birthday, which is Sabretooth tries to kill him. So I was hoping for a Chimera appearance because she's the closest thing Laura has to Sabretooth. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing Chimera right, but that kind of goes <laughs> with the show pronouncing names wrong. Anyway, uh, I give the book a Roman numeral 10, which we all know is an X. I was curious what you guys thought of the, the new series. Thanks. Bye. He stole all our X puns. <sighs> all your X puns. Yeah, you were up late thinking about those puns and <sighs> drained the swamp or whatever that reference on the garbage. Means. Listen, I don't want to make anybody else nervous. Yeah. But uh, Dino left us one voicemail. Like he killed it that first yeah. time? He killed it on that first one. Yeah, really I did. tried to call into our podcast and left like seven before I was happy with it. Uh, X23 number one is written by Mariko Tamaki, and the artist is Juan Cabal with the colorist Nolan Woodard. Did you guys happen to read it? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Whoa. Did you? We all read the book that Dino wants to talk about? Well, yeah, it's Dino's favorite book. He, he wore an X-23 shirt today because he was so excited to, to Wait, get this book. Describe. All right. All I know about X-23 is that she's Wolverine's clone daughter and that she has a friend named Honey Badger, which I thought was really, really dumb. Until you read Honey Badger. And then I read this book and I really, really liked Honey Badger. Yeah. I'm, uh, I feel like a chump for not keeping up with this better. Yeah, the thing about Honey Badger that they don't uh, say in this one is that she doesn't feel pain. Um, that's part of her, like, unique okay. clonies, which I think is really funny because, like, she gets beat up a lot and stuff, but, like, she doesn't say anything. No. And, and like, she's also apparently super tough, right? Yeah, and she, she like, falls down into this pit after getting knocked really far away or something or getting blown up, and uh, Laura uh, X-23 comes up and is like, oh, are you okay? And she's like, I feel like a pretzel. <laughs> Just like... Yeah. But like, like an actual pretzel, not like eating a pretzel. Yeah, yeah. it's like, it's interesting because it's like, oh yeah, like I wonder what it's like to like be like broken and messed up, but not actually feel pain. Right. Like, it's like when you're getting your wisdom teeth removed or something and like you can feel them moving around in there, but like it doesn't hurt. I don't really care. Yeah. I just like that she was so flippant to the uh, the cuckoos. Yeah. You, look- like, you, you guys look like an evil choir. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, also was pretty hesitant about Honey Badger until I read her and she was created by Tom Taylor mm-hmm. and he's written her in, in a couple different books and I, pref- I prefer his voice for her, but by about halfway through this issue... I was I was digging her voice uh, more, but at first I wasn't I didn't feel like it was quite as charming as the the one that I really really like. But by about halfway through, she she steps in there. I guess I just didn't really particularly love the first half of this, which was the more superhero battle portion of it. Mm-hmm. I could read a book about uh, Laura and Honey Badger, Badger just like hanging out and talking to people and seeing people and talking about birthdays and walking around the mansion like that. I would read that forever. That was really fun. I did like the fight scene. I thought. Um most of it was choreographed pretty fun. Like, yeah, the art is gorgeous. Like in this. this part where like she bounces off and into a car and well, and you could track punched. the action really well. There's a yeah. lot of absolutely bonkers punching and jumping, and they get separated at one point, but you always know who is where and who they're fighting. And like the scene where she slides under the green dude's legs and cuts his Achilles tendons, mm. that was very cinematic. Yeah. Um, Gosh, the only thing I was uh, unsure about with uh, X-23's voice was when she she gets on the guy with the jetpack and says, going down, and then the next panel says, like, express, and it's like, <laughs> listen, I get that she doesn't have to be this, like, totally broken, traumatic character that's all dark and broody anymore, but, like, I don't... I, I, I don't see her making jokes like that. And that, that was, I guess, my feeling as well, which is... I... I just couldn't get a clear voice for Laura in this, and it didn't feel in line with other incarnations of her, but I also support it not being just, like, chronically broken character. But it didn't feel in this, like, the pieces of that character made sense to me. That was the only hiccup I had for her voice. The rest of it I thought was really on point. For X-23 or for Honey Badger? For X-23. I think it reflected her, uh, her origins and, like, how she's grown from that over the years, which is a lot. Like, she's gone a lot from her origins to, like, being, like, a sex worker, like, on the streets, like, to, like, working with, like, the Avengers Academy, like, being a kid with all these other person. Now she's, like, kind of just an adult, like, doing doing the Wolverine thing. Well, having a little 
kid sister daughter yeah, thing will do that to you. Sure. Uh, I really like the story line, like the, the through line with the cuckoos. Where I do too. I, yeah. I think I like that they've cloned, resurrected versions of their two dead sisters, and they yeah. both died in the Grant Morrison run. I can't remember. I remember the Esme arc where, like, she like expressed individuality and then became like a goth one. Yeah, and then she I died, and and I like I like all of that. I like the cuckoo cuckoos or, uh, yeah, that that storyline I'm interested in. I don't. I hope that the two weird resurrected sisters don't survive the series or the storyline. I feel like they're sort of playing Highlander, and we're going to try and just reduce it down to one. Is what that would be okay. Esme too. Is, is the vibe I got from what Esme's plan maybe is? Mm. That that would be okay, but I would I would hate to see them try to reset the status quo and and bring us back to five cuckoos. Yeah, I uh, forgot that there was five originally because it's been three for so long. I did yeah. love seeing them again though. Yeah. I I remember reading about like them around the same time I started reading about X twenty three that kind of two mm-hmm. thousands early X Men stuff kind of around Grant Morrison. Yeah, I uh, I think the art's great. I think the story was awesome. I thought the dialogue was fine. Not really knowing much about any of the characters, I I surrendered to it about seven pages in. I was like, all right, <laughs> fuck it. I'll just enjoy this, and I actually really did. Uh, I would give this book a... Ooh. I would give it an I.I. I X. No. Yeah. I I I X. Isn't that which a, is that's a seven. I, yeah. But I'd like you guys to note it's that a I included an X. Well on on, on your watch it's I I I X. Okay. Isn't it it's not V I I? It's supposed to be, but on a watch it's I I I X. And I'd like to point out that that gives me the opportunity to include an X in my score. Oh. And also, Dino, two hash marks and three hash marks. Twenty-three. Okay, wow. sure. Boom. Um, wow. I give it a nine. Um, and that's it. I give it a seven point five, and I was really impressed with the art. Um, I wasn't able to get a lot out of Laura in it, but I haven't read like her whole character history, mm-hmm. so, um, so that. Yeah, I love the character. I'm I'm happy to see her. I mean, I I haven't read all of Tom Taylor's run, but I I liked most of what I read of that too. So I'm always down for more more Laura. So one other interesting thing happened today. I know we're going long, but I feel like we should mention that uh, Ken Albury came in today. Oh yeah, with a letter published to the editor in the new issue of Savage Dragon. Yeah, uh-huh. created by an old customer of the store. I don't know if you guys know him. Um, Eric Larson, oh, old Eric school Larson. customer, old school comic creator, one of the one of the hardest working, most important men in the in the modern comic era. I think like he was one of the founding members of Image. He's still a heavy hitter at Image, and he's got his series that's been going for two hundred thirty five. Is issues? this week's issue that has a good comics place shout out? So thanks a ton, Ken. You yeah. rule. We've got your picture now. We're gonna get that up. We love when our subscribers write letters into comics, and also when you do that, you get a free comic that yep. you got your letter published in. So and if we rem- remember, 
you get a shout out on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, we remember. We remember. Um, Yeah. I guess. I guess that does it for this week. Right. Yeah. Django's pumped. I'm glad you're back, Jeff. I'm glad to be back. (laughs) I missed missed that shirt. My Mr. Miracle shirt. Missed my miracle shirt. All right. All right. Brayden's right next to you. Leave leave that heavy lifting. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I'm just excited to keep reading Tom King's Batman run. Yeah, we'll get there next week. I'm Django, and I... Tonsil stones, tonsil stones, tonsil stones. Oh, fuck. It's such a gross thing. Got him. I'm I'm Jeff, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kick Jenga's shin. No, oh, if your leg was uh, reachable by my leg right now, you'd be a you'd be a kicked man. I'm I'm Braden. I'll I'll patch Jenga's shin.